Popcorn Talk fans, today we're talking sex, feminism, and race against a backdrop of aggressive American capitalism. And here's the catch, it all takes place in 1894, so don't move a muscle. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unproduced Table Read here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Today we're reading an amazing, wonderfully historically uh, historical drama called Company Town by Samantha Leventius, and we're so excited to dive into it. But if this is your first time with us here on the show, this is a show where we read Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features, and we're so excited for especially today's show. I think it's a really great script we've got for you. Um, just so you guys know, my name is Jeff Graham. I'll be leading this show today and every week, and if you guys want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey C. Graham. And before we dive into today's script specifically, I would love for my cast to introduce themselves as well, where they can find you online and who you'll be playing today in our read. Hey guys, I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer, and I'll be reading for Florence. Hello again, guys. I'm Mike Kalinowski. You can find me at Mike Kalinowski. Today, I am Thomas and Pullman. Excellent. I'm Isaac Johnson. You can follow me at Isaac Johnson, and I'm reading Porter and Quincy today. What's going on? It's your boy, Jimmy V. I can be at, at Be Your Own Dad everywhere, and I am Theo. Hey, I'm Haley O'Connor. You can find me on Twitter at Haley O'Connor, and I am reading Angelica and Harriet. And disguised woman. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Guy, and here every Wednesday at 12:30 on Action Movie Anatomy. Um, well, great, guys. Before we introduce our amazing writer Samantha Leventius, who we're so excited to have, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about this script and let you elaborate as well. Um, but we're reading a really, really wonderful historical drama called Company Town. Um, if you're like me, you might not be initially excited about the idea of this a, a historical drama, <laughs> but today's script is this unbelievably exciting, tense, and incredibly timely script about race and sex and gender in the 1890s. And mm. Samantha, if you would, I would love for you to both introduce yourself and talk a bit about just the world of the script that we're about to be entering, if you would. Sure. Um, I'm Samantha Leventus, and... Uh, this is set at the height of the Gilded Age, so mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, the railroads are the main source of transportation across the country, the car hasn't been invented yet, it's about to be, um, the telephone is just appearing in homes for the first time, the first generation of African Americans born free in the country are reaching adulthood, and um, we're going to be in the town of Pullman, which was a company town founded by George Pullman, who ran the Pullman Palace Car Company, and... Um, was like king of the railroads. Um, he, everything that happened with transportation, he had a hand in. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was, at the time, the main uh, employer of African Americans across the country as porters, uh, which was, it sounds like this guy's great. Like, he's, mm -hmm. like, really <laughs> yeah. all for diversity. But um, he also was an incredibly oppressive employer and required all of the employees of his company to live in the town that he created where he... Uh, managed the rents and paid their wages and um, basically served as like the clergy and the government and like everything in town was um, under his umbrella and uh, he didn't really pay his employees enough mm. to live in mm -hmm. the homes that he was charging them to live in. Mm. Um, so it became this like powder keg of a place where um, a, a strike broke out that was huge and you would think that the um, the white citizens in this town, along with the black citizens, would work together for what they wanted, which were higher wages and better working conditions. However, um, they didn't. Uh, the white workers wouldn't allow the African American workers to um, 
strike with them, hmm. which resulted in the first African-American union in the country. So it's this like incredibly nice. um, yeah. interesting point in history. And there was also um, the uh, suffrage movement was mm -hmm. happening at the same time. So um, I got to play with elements of all of that in mm -hmm. this incredible time period. Well, it really is. That's a beautiful intro to the script. It really is an incredible time, and it kind of does feel like an American answer to, like, a Downton Abbey. And, you know, I think even, like, you mentioned Pullman is simultaneously kind of embracing the African-American community, but also kind of simultaneously oppressing. So there's shades of complications, like a Don Draper even. So I don't want to say any more about it until we dive in, because I want to let the audience be surprised. But we're so excited. Um, if you don't have anything else, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. So... Ladies and gentlemen, this is Company Town, written by Samantha Leventius. Leventius. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. All right, here we go. Teaser. Exterior, Pullman Town, 1894 day. Horses neigh as they pull a carriage through streets of picketers with signs. I am a man, stuck between Pullman and the poorhouse. The carriage turns a corner and we see Theo Smithson, 24, African-American on a soapbox. His speech is a magnetic call to action for the growing crowd of African Americans. We must work together if we want to work at all. The carriage passes a bust of railroad magnate, George Pullman. The word tyrant is printed across its base. Interior carriage continuous. George Pullman, 60s, Caucasian, peers through a window. His, dis his distinguished good looks are usually matched by his charisma, but at this moment his eyes are stone cold. He's accompanied by his wife, 50s, and children, twin boys, 19, and a girl, 22. He pulls a curtain over the window. Suddenly, a gunshot. Exterior train station continuous. A shaky hand clutches the smart end of a smoking gun. The man, 45, Caucasian, attached, wears a pork pie hat and a look of surprise. He takes off running. Across the platform, Jeremiah Rhodes, 30s, Caucasian, fingers a bullet hole in his coat's shoulder and stalks the gunman. We spot a body, 27, Caucasian, of a man in a three-piece suit on the ground, blood and dirt caked from hat to jaw. The gruesome sight almost distracts us from the softness of his features, or more accurately, her features. Suddenly, a gasp, a gasp restores her to consciousness. Thomas Ho, 24, Caucasian, yanks her to her feet. The ringing in her ears makes the shouts inaudible. Tom? He pulls her toward a staircase at the end of the platform. They pass by a train with Principia written on its sides. Interior, Principia motor car continuous. An engineer opens a pocket watch to check the time. The car shakes. He looks out the window and crosses himself. Exterior, train station continuous. A large group of white men ram themselves against the train car, attempting to upend it. They struggle and try again. Interior, carriage continuous. Pullman speaks forebodingly as they approach the station. If you were ever to hear, were to hear me, let it be known. When we arrive, the police will escort us to the platform. Keep your hands down until we're aboard the train. Understood? His family nods. The carriage comes to a stop. Exterior train station continuous. The disguised woman and Thomas hurry down the steps, but halt as the Pullmans exit the, their carriage, surrounded by police. They turn around and run back up to the platform. The disguised woman stops suddenly. Wait, where's Bert? Suddenly you care? She slaps him with all the force she can muster. Then the ear-splitting crash of twisted metal resounds as the train car flips onto the tracks. Plumes of black smoke rise from the engine into the air. Title card. Company Town. End of teaser. Act 1. Exterior Union Pacific Train Line Day. The smoke emanating from the Principia becomes the steam coming from a locomotive as its cars barrel into a tunnel. Chiron, two months later. Interior train dining car continuous. Passengers enjoy polite conversation or read the paper. Alone at the table sits Angelica Tyler, smart and ambitious. 
enough to confound the politics of the men who devise the corset she wears. She writes observations in a notebook. A porter, 40s, African-American, delivers a cup of tea. Anything else I can give you? Angelica shakes her head with a smile. Without her suit and hat, we hardly recognize her as the disguised woman from the platform. But there's no denying, this is her. She takes a long sip of tea and closes her eyes for just a moment. Perfect day on the rails, isn't it? She opens her eyes to find George Pullman staring at her from a table across the aisle. She smiles and nods in the affirmative, then goes back to her writing. Pullman makes his way to Angelica's table. First time aboard? I'm on a return trip, actually. Pullman slides into the seat across from Angelica without an invitation. She bristles slightly at the intrusion. The porter returns with a coffee for Pullman. Angelica continues writing. And have you enjoyed your travels thus far? Thank you, Jacob. Of course, sir. The porter continues his work. The trip has been lovely, thank you. I have a beautiful compartment, and the porters are remarkably attentive. They do add to the experience, don't they? Makes you understand why the South was so upset by Lincoln's proclamation. He laughs, amused with himself. You see, the Southern Negro is perfectly suited to this work. By that, I mean he is more adapted to wait on people with a smile than we are and can live on lower wages. This catches Angelica's attention. Is that right? (laughs) Quite. Though I do suggest that if you are happy with the service, you offer a tip. A tip? A small sum of money to show your appreciation and keep them honest. How fascinating. She scribbles in her notebook. He doesn't like being ignored. If not for your gender, I think I was speaking to a journalist. (laughs) She catches the severity in his tone and puts her notebook and pen in a pocket. I wonder. Might I speak candidly? Please do. You said the Negroes can live on less, but what about the white men who build these cars? I've heard the factory workers make honest wages. They do. However, those of us whose husbands work in the factory are required to live in Pullman Town. (laughs) A lovely place to live. Yes, lovely and expensive. Your husband works in the factory then, Miss... Tyler. Angelica Tyler. George Pullman. B. She takes a sip of her tea. Yes, I know. A thin smile makes its way across Pullman's face. Very cheeky, Miss Tyler. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Pullman. He considers a moment, then lets out a congenial chuckle. (laughs) You get along well with my daughter. Always pushing buttons. I hope we'll have occasion to meet. Join Join us this evening for the dedication for the new train. The train's squealing brakes signal the end of their trip. I should gather my things. As they stand, the train lurches and Angelica loses her balance. She grabs onto Pullman to keep from falling. Careful, dear. These trains can be dangerous. I'd better find my way back to solid ground before I wind up in trouble then, hadn't I? She walks away and discreetly retrieves her notebook and pen from her pocket. She scribbles as she walks. Exterior train station day. Pullman exits the train car and is assisted onto the platform by Quincy Smithton, 50s African-American, a people-pleaser who humbly carries his pride in his stature. Welcome home, Mr. Pullman. Thank you, Quincy. And how are things coming along for the ceremony? Oh, looking good, Mr. Pullman. Uh, and Theo, please prepare. Yes, sir. My Theo will be the best lead porter you've ever seen. Can't thank you enough for giving him this chance. Pullman pats Quincy on the back, and the two walk towards another car in the train. Well, I did watch her grow up on this platform. I'm happy to offer the opportunity. How's May? Glad to have Theo home. Making a big old welcome back lunch today. 20 years I've been out on the trains and not once did I ever get a welcome home meal. But Theo, man, every time. (laughs) Mothers and their sons. Oh, and Mrs. Pullman? She keeps busy with the socials and the children. The twins are a handful as I understand it. Boys will be boys. The men continue talking as they board the train car. From another door on the train, Angelica is helped to the platform by Quincy's son, Theo, whose rebellious nature is hidden by an infectious smile. We recognize him as the man from the soapbox. Angelica looks around, but doesn't see her husband amongst the crowd. Could you take my things to the Overlook? There's a tip in it for you. Of course, ma'am. 
As she approaches the overlook past a sign that reads, Welcome to Pullman Town, we see the town expand below. A clock tower stands regally at the center above the Pullman factory. Interior Pullman factory continuous. Men in overalls work along an assembly line. Mel paces the floor and anxiously looks over the machinist's shoulders. We recognize him as the pork pie hat. We recognize him by the pork pie hat he wears. At the end of the long table, Bert Tyler, 30s, Caucasian, sweats as he bolts two pieces of metal together. He's the kind of contemplative man that others are wont to follow. His concentration evident by the tongue hanging from the corner of his mouth. Thomas, who we met before, approaches with a glass of water for Bert. He's bullheaded, fiercely loyal, and too smart for his own good. But those qualities also make him the best friend anyone could hope for. Thanks. Sure, buddy. Bert gulps down the water. And she gets home today? Uh, yep. Nervous? Tom, she's my wife. Yeah, right, right. Nervous? Bert eyes Thomas. <laughs> a little. Panicked yells come from the next room. They run toward the commotion. Interior Pullman factory continuous. Smoke and shouts rise from a huddle of factory workers. Thomas grabs Bert's shoulders to hold him back, but Bert shakes him off and rushes into the horde of men. At the center, a lathe malfunctions. Hundreds of sparks fly out of control, and men struggle to beat out the ashes. Bert grabs a wrench and a pick from the work table. Interior train, Pullman's private car, continuous. Pullman sits in a plush chair. Quincy presents a pair of shoes, and Pullman nods approvingly. I'd like to wear my tails tonight. Quincy begins to lace the shoes onto Pullman's feet. Yes, sir. Cufflinks? Uh, the gold ones Carnegie gave me. I'll expect he'll be in attendance. I've been breathing down my neck lately about this damned economy. Doesn't think I understand the meaning of fiscal responsibility. Didn't I build this company up from the ground up? Yes, sir. That's right. Sometimes you have to spend a little, make a little. He'll see this evening, won't he? Oh, yes, sir. It'll be a grand party. <laughs> Perhaps it would be best if you and uh, Theo stayed at the station tonight. You know, we'll go over things before tonight. This is a direction, not a suggestion. Of course, Mr. Pullman. Surely May will understand. Um, sure she will. Good. Uh, tell the kitchen to provide lunch for you two. You know, that'll be nice, yes? Uh, father and son eating together on the job? Pullman stands and walks out of the car, leaving Quincy kneeling on the ground. Exterior train station continuous. Angelica sits atop one of her trunks. The sun beats down on her in her corset, and the heat is unbearable. Mr. Pullman walks toward the stairs to leave. Mr. Pullman! He turns toward her. She scrambles to her feet. Are you heading to the factory? She offers him a large, flirtatious smile. Interior Pullman's carriage day. We're bumping along with Angelica and Pullman. Ordinarily, I wouldn't have taken the sleeper car, but my father insisted. See, I've been visiting my family in Detroit. She moves to the window curtain to look outside. What does your father do? He is building a horseless carriage. Pullman laughs aloud. <laughs> a what? It works like your locomotive, but smaller with no tracks. <laughs> That's absurd. Can you imagine? A civilian can captain the thing on their own. By trade, then, your father is a... An inventor. How unique. Has he had any success? He helped invent a farming product called barbed wire. Yes, I'm familiar with it, and thank you for explaining. I was wondering how your uh, factory worker's wife could afford my sleeping car. Well, we make do. Did you enjoy your time in Detroit? I did. There's so much to do there. (laughs) Quite. Detroit is one of my favorite cities to visit. You might find this interesting. Last week, I attended a rally for the women's suffrage movement. Suffrage? It's a women's movement? Yes, I'm well aware of the suffragettes are. I read the news. They are trying to upset the way of the world. I don't know about that, Mr. Pullman. No, you don't. Precisely my point. I cannot understand why the fair sex suddenly wants to concern themselves in the matters of the affairs of men. I'm sorry I upset you. I assumed with your progressive views on the hiring of Negroes you'd enjoy hearing about the movement. Well, you assumed wrong. Married woman? It's improper. Some would say it's improper for me to be sharing your coach. Pullman leans back in his seat and picks up a newspaper. Their conversation is over. Interior Pullman factory continuous. 
Bert is still at work on the lathe, which smokes heavily now. Something's jammed in the gear. He looks up to the group of men huddled nearby. Yo, I could use some help here. The lathe sparks. Bert loses his grip on the item in the machine. Damn it. Thomas pushes through the crowd and tries to pull Bert away. I've almost got it. Give me a hand. You're out of your mind. Come on. Thomas tries to help Bert up, but Bert turns back to the lathe, determined to fix the problem. Exterior Pullman factory continuous. Angelica and Pullman exit the carriage. Well, Miss Tyler, I hope you'll settle back in comfortably at home. Thank you for the ride. Both of them? Yes, both of them. Though I bought a fair ticket for the first. Careful, dear. That's a fine line between cheeky and impertinent. Suddenly, a nearby window blows out. Smoke fills through. End of Act 1. Act 2. <coughs> Interior Pullman factory continuous. Angelica coughs as she runs through the smoky lobby to the workroom. She reaches out to a man as he passes. Have you seen Bert Tyler? The man shakes her off. Through the smoke, we see men tending to cuts from shattered glass and burns from the blast. Angelica gasps as she notices a body lying still. Is it Bert? A rough hand grabs her by the arm and tries to drag her away. Uh, ma'am, you shouldn't be in here. Stop! I need to find my husband. Pullman, handkerchief over his mouth, enters, looking for Angelica through the smoke. He spots the damaged machinery at the same time. This is no place for a lady. Let me go! With all of her might, she... She kicks him off and runs further into the factory. Pullman begins to follow, but instead refocuses and makes his way towards the lake. He steps over the body on the ground as if it were a stray piece of scrap metal. His foot lands in a pool of blood. Now, damn it! Are we Neanderthals? Would someone cover that man with a sheet? Pullman sees Mel and makes a beeline toward him, tracking blood across the floor with each step. What the hell happened here? Uh, we're still trying to determine... Is the equipment all right? I have men working on it. When will production resume? I don't know, Mr. Pullman. I, I, I don't know was not an answer. I expect someone held responsible for this. Y- yes, Mr. Pullman, I understand. I'll wait a full report then? Mel nods. Good, I'll be in my office. Pullman exits. Mel looks warningly at Thomas, who stands by the damaged lathe. Bert, seemingly unharmed, is at work on the machine. Leave it alone, Bert. I, I can't. Someone's sabotaging. You're paranoid. Got it. Bert, chews, Bert removes a chewed-up metal scrap from the gear. I swear, if you'd let me, I could have stopped the explosion. Okay, Bert, yeah, next time I'll let you get blown up. Thomas helps Bert to his feet. Hey, weren't you supposed to be meeting Angie from the station? Damn, what time is it? Go! He looks at the metal scrap in his hand. I'll take it to the office. Bert hands it over. A man enters across the room. Anyone by the name of Tyler here? Bert waves his hand. Interior Pullman factory. Locker room continuous. Angelica sits on a bench and taps her foot anxiously. The door swings open and there's Bert. Bert, I was so worried. She makes her way towards him, puts a hand on his cheek. Look at you, you're a mess. I wanted to look nice when I picked you up. She lets out a relieved laugh. He love it. He loves it when she laughs. You're okay then, not hurt. Uh, I'm fine. Better now that you're back. He places a gentle hand on her cheek. How'd you get here? Where are your things? Mr. Pullman offered me a ride in his carriage. Mr. Pullman? We met on the train. He invited us to the dedication for the new train tonight. <laughs> are you joking? Please tell me you're joking. Silence. Angelica looks at him, confused. My boss. Angelica, my boss. I don't see what the problem is. You wouldn't. I'm terribly sorry for whatever it is I did to offend you, Bert. I stupidly thought you would be excited to see me. Don't do that. Don't turn it on me. I figured that after some time away you'd stop acting so... So what? The heat between them is palpable. He kisses her, passionately, hotly. He pushes her against the lockers. She caresses his back as he lifts her skirt. He unbuckles his belt, pants falling to the ground. Wait. Angelica looks toward the door. It's okay. No one's coming in. Bert lets go of her, frustrated. Of course not. He pulls his pants up and buckles his belt. I'm sorry, I'm just not... I'll get your things. He walks out of the locker room and slams the door. Interior, Principia sleeping car continuous. Quincy and Theo walk through a lavish new sleeping car. 
Right. Each compartment is made to be comfortable as possible while the train continues its journey. You know, I, I have been on sleeping cars before, right? Yes, son, but you've never as lead porter. Theo lets out an exasperated sigh. Can't your old man take some pleasure in showing you his trade? Please. Theo nods. Quincy ushers him into a sleeping compartment. Inside, there's a sleeping area and a bed. Quincy pulls sheets and a pillow from the cabinet. This compartment can be shared by two passengers. Yes, father. I know. Quincy shoots him a look. Give me a break. He hands Theo the linens and releases a panel from above the bed, revealing a second mattress. You have to secure the panel on both sides before making up the bed. And now you make up the bed. Quincy waits for Theo to make a move. Seriously? No one is sleeping in here tonight. It's important to make sure you've been properly trained, son. Quincy moves a stool to the foot of the bed. There probably won't even be an event tonight after the explosion. I expect it will go as planned. I heard someone died. Enough, Theo. Would you please do what I've asked? Theo steps onto the stool, annoyed, and makes the bed. There will always be people watching. Don't expect you ever alone when you're on a Pullman Palace car. Well, sometimes you are. You never know who's been hired to keep an eye out on your journey. Are you a Sparta pop? You never know, Theo. I might be taking mental notes right now on how poor you're folding those corners. <laughs> Let me show you. Quincy gets up and shows Theo how to fold a proper hospital corner. I'm proud of you, son. The men share a loving smile, but before the moment can become emotional, Theo pipes up. Want to show me how to prep the place settings in the dining car? I expect I better. Quincy leaves the compartment, but stops to be to straighten the painting on the wall. Theo watches him go, then adjusts the painting again, leaving it off balance. Interior Pullman Factory, office continuous. Pullman is in a tense conversation with Mel. With all due respect, sir, a man was killed in the blast. The men need some time to recover. Someone has to make the hard calls here. If the factory stops, no one gets paid. Do you want to explain to the wives, the men's wives, why the children have no food on the table come Sunday? No, sir. I, I, I would <laughs> advise that we... Advise? Melvin, you forget your station. You're my supervisor of my employees, not my advisor. Yes, sir. I, I realize that. Pullman softens a moment to explain his point passionately. We do important work here, Melvin. Connecting the country. It's not for us to stand in the way of progress and something goes awry. No, we should rally. Get the men back to the stations and make the next great train car. Our work here is bigger than any one of us. I'm not sure the men will agree in this situation, Then they sir. can find places of employment elsewhere. S sir, I, I... I am through talking about this. We are in a recession. There is work to be done. These men are being paid for their time. If they prefer not to be here, well, we'll replace them. Yes, sir. Melvin turns to leave. And Melvin? Yep. Yes, Mr. Palmer? You're replaceable, too. Mel leaves the office. Interior Tyler home, bedroom, day. Quick cuts. Shoes are placed on the floorboards. The bed sheets are pulled up and smoothed. Dust is wiped off of a desk and replaced with a paper, a pen, and a bottle of ink. Angelica opens the curtains, allowing the light into the room. The home appears barely lived in. She takes a three-breasted suit from her trunk and hides it behind a dress in the closet. I'm not much of a housekeeper, as you can see. Angelica turns around quickly, caught off guard. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to startle you. Oh, that's all right. I shouldn't have gotten so cross, Angela. I'm really glad you're home. And I'm glad to be here. How was your trip? Good. My parents say hello. They'd like for us to move to Detroit. You... This is a non-starter for Bert. Angelica takes a book from her trunk and flips to the middle where a few pamphlets sit. I went to an event last week put on by the American Railroad Union. She hands him a pamphlet. All of us. American. Written by Tyler Elliott. Angie, don't. I, I don't want to This get group in. is organized to make the workplace better. After today... This is what you did at home? I thought you were healing. I was, but I also needed... A distraction? It's not what this is. Yes, it is, damn it. It's a distraction from me, from... 
from him. Angelica shoots daggers at him with her eyes, then shakes it off and moves towards the kitchen. Bert follows. Are you hungry? I can make dinner. Um, what? Perhaps. Perhaps some tea? I suppose it is a bit early for dinner. She takes a teacup from the cupboard and hands it to Bert. Must be joking. She begins to ready the teapot. You were going to rallies? Enjoying yourself all the while? It was I was not wor- for enjoyment. It was... You left me alone to pick up the pieces after Elliot Can we just got- have a nice night? He was my son too, Angelica. You wouldn't talk to me. I had to keep going. Put food on the table. I didn't have the luxury of running away. The moment the words exit his lips, he regrets them. Luxury. I assure you nothing about this has been luxurious. I didn't mean to. And I came back. I'm here, aren't I? Aren't I? Don't make me out to be the villain. I'm not. Angelica shakes her head and numbly starts for the door. I'm going to the ceremony. Angelica, don't do this again. Do what? Leave. There's a tense moment. I won't be late. As the door slams closed behind her, Bert throws the teacup he's been holding against the wall and it shatters. End of Act 2. Act 3. Exterior train station dusk. Harriet Pullman, 50, Caucasian. The kind of woman who can move mountains with gossip. Arrives at the top of the stairs. Behind her are the twins, 19, George Jr. and Walter, who race up the stairs, followed by Florence, 22, holding up her shoes and skirts in an attempt to beat her younger brothers. Harriet turns to see the commotion quickly approaching. Florence, you know better. Florence stops momentarily on the stairs and continues (laughs) running, passing Walter just before the final step. Not fair! I didn't think we were still playing. You should know by now never to assume I've listened to Mother. I swear I don't know where you came from. Pullman walks out of a train car onto the platform. Flory! Florence runs towards her father, nearly tackling him with a hug. She whispers in his ear. Promise to never leave me with her again. He smiles at her affectionately. The boys make their way towards him as well. Pullman inspects their fingernails. Uh, Good to see you, boys. Father? Harriet, unamused by her children's behavior, makes her way to Pullman's side and offers her cheek to him for a kiss. You're not uh, wearing that suit, are you, dear? Lovely to see you, too. Theo approaches the family. You all remember Theo? The family nods. Hello, Theo. Miss Florence. Theo is our newest lead porter. He's going to show you around Principia while I get dressed. Pullman kisses Florence on the head. Interior, how home, dusk. Bert places the floor in Thomas's tenement home. Thomas sits on his couch, waiting, watching. So, are you going to tell me why you're going to pay me a visit instead of lounging in bed with your wife? Bert stops to say something, but can't. He's too wound up. He punches the air. No, oh, oh, okay. Uh, I've got something that might help. Thomas goes to the kitchen and pulls a bottle from the cabinet. He offers it to Bert, who examines it. Where'd you get this stuff, my friend? You know what would happen if someone caught you with this? You gonna rat me out? Of course not. Wanna drink? Bert shrugs and pulls the cork from the bottle. Interior Principia sitting car continuous. The Pullman family sits in cushioned chairs as Theo points out some of the finer points of the car. In the painting above your head, Walter is out of the Pioneer, the car that put the Pullman Palace Car Company on the map when it appeared in the funeral train of President Abraham Lincoln. Theo, we know pretty much the entire history of George's company. Of course, I... This really has been a bit of a waste of time, don't you think? Mother! I heard there would be champagne. Not until the ceremony begins. I promise we get to hear the Porter Quartet. They should start soon, Mr. George. Theo, do you think we might take our seats for the ceremony now? Of course, Miss Pullman, this way. Theo extends an arm and the family walks toward the door. Florence gives Theo an apologetic shrug as she passes. Exterior Pullman town continuous. The sun is about to set. Angelica walks along the cobblestone, looking at her feet and muttering to herself. What the hell am I doing here? Just breathe. It's gonna be okay. 
it's not, Detroit wasn't so bad. <laughs> she stands near the back of the church and takes a few steps toward a stairway to the basement. She begins to pull a piece of paper from her pocket. Uh, Angelica Tyler? Angelica shoves the paper back into her pocket and turns to see Mel approaching. Oh, hello. I didn't know you were back. Just today. Welcome home. Uh, I'm sure Bert's thrilled. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, it's good to see your face. Yours as well. What are you doing out tonight? Uh, enjoying a walk before supper. Well, I'll let you continue. See you soon, Angelica. He leaves and Angelica turns, leaving the basement door. But whatever lies beyond it, behind her. Exterior train station later, a quartet of porters sing Pullman Passenger Train. The Pullman family poses for a photograph. Flash. Mr. Pullman kisses Florence on the forehead and takes his spot on a makeshift stage. The microphone squeals as he approaches. The rows of seats in front of it are filled with a bustling of who's who in high society. Thank you all for joining us tonight. When I founded the Pullman Palace Car Company, I knew we had important work to do. Angelica makes her way up the stairs to the station platform and finds a place toward the back of the crowd. Interior Principia dining car continuous. Pullman's speech can be heard within the train car, lit only by the lamps outside. Our innovative designs have made it possible for more businessmen to travel each day. Thus, more business is done, and our country prospers. Theo does his best Pullman impression as he moves through the dining car, as Pullman giving a speech. These cars are the perfect place to keep our Negro neighbors in their place. Yes, sir. No, sir. They continue to wait on us as they always have. They ain't picking cotton no more, but they sure give a good shoe shine. <laughs> he adjusts the table setting and moves to the next train car. Exterior train station continuous. Pullman continues his speech. The comfort our cars provide has allowed men to travel without stopping for a good night's sleep, and fathers make it home for dinner with their families more often. He looks to his family, the boys, his wife, and an empty seat. Where's Florence? Interior Principius sleeping car, compartment continuous. Theo walks into the compartment, the compartment he made up earlier. This is a very well-made compartment, Porter. A smile creeps over Theo's face. I'm glad it's to your liking, Miss Florence. He turns to see Florence reclining on the lower bed. He offers her a hand as she stands in front of him. You can call me Flory, you know? Florence kisses him. Yeah. I know. He kisses her back. And her cut between the compartment and the stage. Pullman continues his speech. At Pullman Palace Car Company, we are always looking to create a better train. And I believe that with Principia, we've succeeded. Theo takes Florence around the waist and pulls her close to him. When you step inside, you'll see all the remarkable upgrades that have been made for your comfort. I'd like to show you some of the most exciting improvements now. Theo and Florence move to the bed. He kisses her neck and she breathes heavily. People ask why we work so hard. We do it for our sons, our daughters, so that they will have a brighter future. Pullman glances to Florence's empty chair again. Going forward, each new Pullman car will be lit with electric lights. A click is heard and the Principia is illuminated with light. (laughs) The lights. It's a new feature. Very nice, Porter. (laughs) Why, thank you, Miss Florence. Florence giggles as Theo kisses his way down her body until he's able to climb under her skirt. I've been meaning to ask you about your last letter. You used a phrase... Shh. But I want to... Oh, what are you... Oh. He glances up at her with a mischievous grin. Don't stop. He playfully throws her skirts entirely over his head. Outside, the crowd cheers as Porter's pop champagne. The latest improvement is yet another achievement in our mission to bring the this great nation together in a way that has never before been possible. Florence clutches a pillow and her body seizes in ecstasy. Exterior train station continuous. <clears throat> Pullman steps down from the stage and shakes hands with businessmen as he moves through the crowd. Andrew Carnegie extends his hand, which Pullman accepts. Carnegie, nice to see you. Congratulations on the new train. What a beauty. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, If you'll excuse me. 
Holman tries to move on, but Carnegie steps in his path. We need to discuss the financial situation we've encountered. I have made it clear to the board that I will not... feed me that company line. We are both pragmatic men. I think you can speak candidly, don't you? (sighs) Tomorrow, my office, where there aren't so many people around. Something has to be done. All that needs to be done now is to find my lead porter and invite my guests aboard the train. You'll excuse me. Pullman looks at him sternly, to which Carnegie stares back in a tense struggle for power. Carnegie finally steps aside. Tomorrow, then. <clears throat> Pullman hurries through the crowd and boards the train. Interior Principia sitting car continuous. <coughs> Pullman looks around, no one in sight. We follow his shoes as he moves to the next car. Interior Principia sleeping car compartment continuous. Theo tidies himself up, but Florence continues to kiss him. Uh, that was amazing. What was that? You were amazing. Tell me this. How come a woman wears so many layers? <laughs> Florence laughs. She kisses him and pulls him onto the bed. About that phrase I mentioned? Yeah. I love you, too. Theo's grin covers the entirety of his face. I've got to get going. If I'm not there to greet the guests, I'll lose my job. He kisses her, and as he gets up, there's a loud splitting sound as the seam of her dress tears under his weight. The sound is loud. What was that? They get to their feet. In her corset, Florence can't bend to see where the dress is torn. Oh, how bad is it? Theo looks at the large hole on the side of her dress. Interior, Principia, sitting car continuous. The shoes move down the hallway, passing the compartment, but then, voices. The shoes backtrack. Interior, Principia, sleeping car compartment continuous. Theo tries to lift the dress and fold it into the hole so it's not conspicuous. The door to the compartment swings open, and they're caught. End of Act 3. Act 4, interior Principia sleeping car compartment continuous. Florence starts behind Theo. Quincy stands in the doorway, stunned. This cannot be. Pops, I... Theo, you need to stop talking right now, son. Miss Florence, are you okay? Hi, Quincy. Yes, I'm fine. Just a bit embarrassed. You should get back to the party. Yes, it's probably the best idea. She looks to Theo with an I'm sorry shrug, but quickly makes her way out of the compartment. I know this looks... When I said don't talk, I meant it. But you have to what let me... What exactly do I have to let you do? Explain? No, explain this away, Theo. We love each other. You... What? How are you this naive, son? What if Mr. Pullman have found you? It shouldn't matter. Slavey's been dead for decades. I'm a free man, just like the Pullman sons. You're black. And she loves me. That woman is going to marry a rich white man, and if she tells a soul about you e- ever, God help you, son. You're not just out of a job. You'll be strung up and killed in front of the damn church. I need more than just being a slave. Don't you see we're not any better off now than before? I watched my pop beaten bloody until they passed, until he passed because he spoke up for my ma when she was too sick to work. I listened to my sister scream as, she, as a white man raped her over and over again, watched as they yanked the child from her breast, and there was nothing I could do about it. Don't you ever tell me we're not better off. Stupid, selfish, arrogant child. Quincy begins remaking the bed. Pop, I... Go get ready for the guests. I... Go! Theo heads out the door, and Quincy sits on a bed for a moment, resting his head in his hands. Interior Principia dining car continuous. Theo enters the dining car and nearly runs into Pullman. I'm sorry, sir. I'm still hoping you'll be less clumsy around the customers. Have you seen Floria abroad, aboard? It seems she missed my speech. Miss Florence? Not since I showed your family around earlier. Well, this has been a perfectly useless conversation. He takes a deep breath and looks at the new cars they're standing in. It's grand. beautiful. What do you think of her? Beauty, isn't she? If there's one place I love being, 
It's inside a Pullman. <laughs> Pullman claps to you on the back. Good on you. Let's bring the party aboard. They head toward the front of the train. Exterior train station continuous. Angelica sips her champagne. She spots Florence stealing looks from the back of the train and approaches. Psst. Coast clear. Florence gestures. Are you talking to me? Angelica nods. Florence steps quickly onto the platform. Thank you. I was waiting for the right moment. Florence, where in God's name have you been? You completely missed your father's speech. I'm sorry, Mother. I was just having a lovely conversation with me. I do apologize for keeping her. I can be rather long-winded. And you are? Angelica Tyler. I met your husband on my train ride back from Detroit, and he said I absolutely had to meet Florence here. I see. Harriet notices the ripped seam in the dress. What in the world? Oh, this, uh, it's not really so bad. Your corset is exposed. We'll have to get you home at once. No, I, I haven't even had a glass of champagne yet. What if we board the sitting car? And if we stay seated, no one will see that. Tip. Yes, yes, that's what we'll do. Behind Harriet, Pullman stretches out from the conductor's window at the front of the train. All aboard! Harriet turns as fireworks explode and the crowd cheers. <sighs> Very well, hurry up. Harriet turns, Florence and Angelica follow behind. Thank you for that. Perhaps later you'll tell me how you tore your dress. Florence blushes. Interior how home continuous. Bert and Thomas sit on the floor and they drunkenly sing. Dad, I want you blow. Dad, I want you blow. Dad, I want you blow your horn. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. No, no, someone's in the kitchen. No one's in the kitchen. Someone, someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. I definitely am. They laugh until all that's left in silence. <clears throat> it's tough, you know, with Ange. I didn't know what to say after. I, mean, I don't know what to say now that she's home. What happened? She went to some rally in Detroit. Now she thinks she wants me to join a union. Can you believe that? Me? <laughs> a union? I know! Not as though she's ever worked a day in her life. Bert wanders towards the window. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, maybe you should hear her out. What are you talking about? Dude, some of the guys, now, you know, we've been you know, talking about the way things are. Things are fine. They're not Bert. Something glimmers by the window. A chewed up metal scrap. Wait, what? You said you were going to bring that to the office. Bert turns the metal scrap over in his hand. Tell me this wasn't you. Tom, you better speak up real quick. It wasn't. I I, I knew about it. you got to be kidding me. You could have killed someone. Revolutions aren't free. What in the hell are you talking about? It wasn't supposed to happen that way. It could have been me, Tom. But it wasn't. So it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Why would you do that? Don't you have a roof over your head? It's a good job. Would you pull your head out of your ass? Can't you see we, we deserve more to be treated better than dogs? I'm not a revolutionary. Wouldn't it be a kind of crowd to just be a man? Bert kicks the wall, frustrated. Interior, Principia sitting car continuous. Angelica and a tipsy Florence sit and sip their champagne. For women to vote? Father would hate that. I got that impression, Yes. It's already happening all over the country, though. Women in Colorado, for example, will be able to vote in this year's elections. No! Yes! I want to start a group for the movement here. Oh, wow. You're interested, then? Absolutely! We can meet at my hotel. The Florence? That's... Yes, name for me. Father went a little overboard with that gift. My husband and I went when we first moved here. Husband? Yes, Bert. He's at home tonight. Why? Is he not a fan of champagne? Not at all. More of a whiskey man. Florence laughs and so does Angelica. <laughs> it would have been nice to have him here. We haven't been out for an evening in quite some time. And why is that? Oh, life gets in the way. Florence finds this sentiment funny. What 
What does that mean? It's difficult to explain. Florence looks to Thea with a smile and lifts her empty glass, signaling for a refill. Well, you're lucky. If I could attend a party in the arms of the man I love. The man you love? Florence blushes as Theo arrives with champagne. Hello, ladies. I hope you're enjoying yourself this evening. Very much, thank you. Across the room, Harriet stands by her husband's side and eyes them suspiciously. Dear, I think it's time we find Florence a husband. I thought she'd grow out of the wild behavior, but appears this is, is what we have to work with. Florence is a lovely girl. She disappeared for the entirety of your speech and returned with a large rip in her new dress. Not everyone's definition of lovely. Well, spirited. Not so easy to find a husband for spirited. Enough. I am not forcing someone on her. You always take her side. Perhaps if you had spent more than a week with us in the past few months, you'd take my concerns more seriously. I am not doing this here, Harriet. Pullman walks away and joins Florence, Angelica, and Theo. Miss Tyler, I am impressed you came. Thank you for the invitation. Is your husband here? Unfortunately, he was otherwise engaged this evening. Oh, that's too bad. I trust you are enjoying yourself. Theo's taking good care of us. Pullman doesn't take his eyes off Angelica, which confuses Florence. Angelica and I are having tea tomorrow. How are you? Yes, and looking forward to it. Florence finishes her glass of champagne. Another round, Angelica? Angelica breaks the stare between herself and Pullman. My husband will be expecting me home. Would you excuse me? Of course. I'll see you tomorrow. Pullman takes Angelica's hand and kisses it, then takes her seat as she exits. He turns his attention to Theo. Uh, Don't you have matters to attend to? Theo was just checking that we had everything we needed. From what I hear, you need a seamstress. Panic flashes quickly through Theo's eyes. Just a small rip. Yes, I heard it happen. You were inexplicably chose to excuse yourself from my speech. Pullman takes her hand, but she pulls it back. It's nothing to worry about. What difference does it make? I don't like being embarrassed. It was an accident. Enlighten me to the details. She was... I don't see what this has to do with you at all. Why are you still standing here? He, he saw the accident. Really? Yes. I came on the train because I realized I'd left a kerchief aboard and uh, when we had our tour. She bent down to look for and, it and, and... And Quincy wasn't paying attention and stepped on my dress as Quincy I stood. tore your dress? It was an accident. I thought you hadn't seen her. Theo, caught in his lie, looks to Florence, pleading. Then... Drunk! A drunk woman, 60s, Caucasian in a black dress, pushes through the crowd. The train grows quiet. The drunk points at Pullman. You killed my son! A porter quickly takes the woman's arm to escort her off the train, but she pulls away. He was working in the factory! He... Pullman motions to Theo for help as he approaches her. Uh, I'm very sorry for your loss, ma'am, but now... He gave 16 years to you! His whole life! For what? A new train car? This party? She pulls a glass of wine from a nearby table and throws it on Pullman. You're a monster! Theo and another porter lift the woman and carry her from the car as she yells. Harriet rushes to Pullman's side. Are you all right? She takes his kerchief from his pocket and begins dabbing it. Damn it, Harriet, leave it alone. Another glass of champagne to everyone. Please, enjoy yourselves. The party begins as Pullman makes his way through the crowd to leave the train car and a deflated Harriet behind. Interior how home later. Bert sits on the couch. Thomas stands in the doorway. Don't punch me for saying this, but... Saying what? I've never seen a person as torn up as Ange when was with Elliot. When he... It's okay, tell him. He died. Yeah. Say it. Yeah. Look, I think you should just try to listen to what she has to say about this, this union stuff. I don't see what one has to do with the other. She's trying to keep you safe. I doubt she could take another loss. Look, you, you should come to the meeting. Tell him I'm just, not gonna... just think about it. We're meeting Greg's in the morning. Your shift is until the afternoon, right? 
Right, but it's not my Just job. Just <clears throat> think about it. A tense moment, and then Bert nods and heads for the door. Interior, Principia, Pullman's private car, continuous. Pullman buttons up a fresh shirt. Quincy enters the car. Uh, sorry, Mr. Pullman. A passenger car stopped me and I had difficulty getting away. Yes, well, I've almost finished, but you can help me with my tie. Oh, of course, sir. Quincy, fix- Quincy fixes the tie around Pullman's neck. <sighs> Nothing is going right today. Were you planning to tell me about this incident earlier? Incident? With Florence. Quincy pauses momentarily, unsure of what to say. I hadn't planned to, no. Why not? With all due respect, he's my son, sir. Quincy finishes nodding the tie. I don't agree with his actions, but I know he means well. And I know it's not right, but he loves your daughter. What are you talking about? Loves my... Pullman puts a version of events together in his mind and he starts to leave. Uh, Mr. Pullman, what are you going to do? They're just kids, sir. He follows Pullman out the door. Exterior Principia, vestibule continuous. Quincy grabs Pullman's arm, pleading. But please, we're, we're both reasonable men. Both fathers who love their children. They grew up together. Surely you can understand. Let go! You never compare yourself to me, you hear? Not ever! I built everything I've ever owned. You're just a antique farm equipment that got lucky and lived off my generosity. There is nothing comparable between us. And your son is nothing but an insect under my foot. And I'll be damned if that nigga makes a fool of me, of Florence. Quincy is taken aback by this response. But when Pullman heads for the door to the next car, Quincy grabs him by the arm, pleading, Please, Mr. Pullman, just take a moment and... and Pullman pushes And I car. said let go of me! Quincy loses his footing and falls from the vestibule. His head hits hard on the tracks below. Pullman, shocked, rushes to the edge of the vestibule. Below, Quincy breathes erratically. Pullman prepares to get onto the tracks but stops short. He looks Quincy in the eyes, straightens his suit, and turns to re-enter his private train car. Blood pools on the tracks, and Quincy's eyes roll back. End of Act 4. Act 5. Exterior Pullman Town Night. Angelica walks the street of the quiet town, lit by the glow of street lamps. She smiles at a factory worker boarding up a broken window at the factory. Above him, the clock tower reads 1025. She turns the corner, and suddenly her walk becomes more urgent. She hurries past the Florence Hotel, carefully to make... carefully to make sure that no one is following behind her. She approaches the church and walks down the stairs she left behind earlier. She takes a final glance around, removes the paper from her pocket, and slips it under the door. She knocks four times and listens at the door. Footsteps approach on the other side. Angelica races up the stairs, and we hear the creak of the door opening as she turns a corner. Interior, Principia sleeping car continuous. Harriet walks by guests on the sleeping car, looking for her husband. She exits through the back door to the vestibule. Suddenly, a scream. A man runs around toward the back door and throws it open. Exterior, Principia, vestibule, continuous. Harriet clutches the wall of the vestibule. Call a doctor. The man lets the door close as he takes off. Pullman opens the opposite door from his private car. That's all the commotion. Harriet goes to him, hugs him. There's been an accident. She buries her head in his chest. Pullman looks to the tracks where Quincy lies unconscious. Oh my god! How could this have happened? Theo bursts through the door with a doctor in tow. Someone said they needed a doctor? Uh, I am so sorry, Theo. Theo moves toward the edge of the vestibule and sees Quincy. What? No! Pops! Theo hurries to the tracks. Come on! Doctor! Help! The doctor steps down to the tracks and takes Quincy's pulse. He's alive? We need to get him to my office. I can't do much more than stop the bleed here. Let's go. Uh, Theo, Theo, you need to make sure that everything is in order here so that the party can continue. My father is... I know your father would want you to handle your job. Is he going to be okay? He's lost a lot of blood. Will he live? I'm going to do my best. Theo nods and hops back onto the vestibule. Please don't let him die. Theo gets to work as the doctor pulls gods from his bag. Darling, why don't you go get the children ready to go home? This has been quite enough excitement for you tonight. 
Yes, it has been. She enters the train car. I think it's best if you go to the Negro Hospital in the town instead of your office, don't you? My office is closer. We'll have a better chance there. He'll be more comfortable amongst his own people. I'll get the carriage ready. Pullman steps out of the vestibule onto the train platform. Interior Tyler home later. Quick cuts. A burner ignites. A tea kettle is set atop the burner. A dustpan holding shards of the shattered teacup is emptied into a trash can. Angelica takes a seat at the desk in her bedroom. Women's place. Women's world. Ah. She writes at the top of a piece of paper. A place at the table, written by Tyler Elliott. She caresses the name Tyler Elliott lightly with her finger. The sound of the door latching catches her attention, and she hides the paper at the bottom of the pile. Angelica greets Bert with a smile and checks the kettle. He walks behind her and puts his arms around her waist. Only six hours into having you here, and I'm already on my second apology. I can't be the person I was, Bert. And I don't want to be. I, I can't stay here and promise and obey and cook and clean. I need more than that now. I know. Angelica turns and looks at him. And we have got to stop turning our grief on each other. I'm sorry I left. I'm back. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. She puts her arms around his neck. She can smell the whiskey on his breath, and she smirks. Have you been drinking? A little. Bert Tyler, I'll be breaking the rules. It's so unlike you. She kisses him on the cheek. I love you, too. She kisses him on the lips. Her hands move through his hair. She pick- he picks her up, bringing her to the kitchen table. This time, she helps to unbuckle his belt. You sure? Let's not let life get in the way. I want you. He doesn't need her to say it twice. He drops his pants, <laughs> yanks her bloomers down as insider. They move together as the tea kettle whistles. Exterior Pullman Town dawn. The sun rises over tenement homes in Pullman Town. Interior Tyler home morning. Bert kisses Angelica, softly waking her from her sleep. Mm, I missed you. Me too. They kiss. Say, so, uh, you want to go for a picnic today? Like we used to? I actually have lunch plans already. What if I make something nice for dinner? Uh, I'm working late shift. Where are you going for lunch? Florence Pullman invited me for tea. Pullman? We met last night. We're, we're going to discuss starting a group for women's suffrage in town. <laughs> are you trying to lose me my job? Of course not. But you go to work every day and I'm left here with my thoughts. I have to do something. Are you going to say anything? No. I'm listening. She nods and continues tentatively. I so badly want things to be better, Bert. When we have another baby, we have to be able to afford medicine. This is the first he's heard her talk about trying again. And I know you don't like to cause trouble, but I have to try to make a difference. If I don't, who will? He takes her hand as she continues. Interior Pullman factory office continuous. Pullman and Andrew Carnegie sit at Pullman's desk. The company simply isn't doing as well as it used to. The board is concerned. Bull! Andrew, you're concerned. Fine. I'm concerned. We've had three quarters of downturn. It's due to the economic panic. People will calm down and our numbers will bounce back. And until then, how are you going to help the bottom line? We cut wages at the Detroit plant in 78. We can do the same here. Without decreased productivity? I'll increase ours. The employees won't like that. They're like children. They may get unruly, but when all is said and done, they'll see I have the best interest at heart. And if they don't? Then we'll find some new employees. Perhaps we need to find new management. The men glare at each other. I've invited a man to ensure things stay in line. A Pinkerton. Pullman's jaw drops in disbelief. Just until the financial situation has been managed, 
We need to ensure the men on the line stay put. Absolutely not. The Pinkertons helped put an end to that god-awful strike a few years back. By shooting at people. They made the problem worse. If you want my continued support, the Pinkerton man stays. Don't put me in a corner, Andrew. Or what? I don't like being handled. <laughs> I don't like my investments failing. Pullman cedars, <clears throat> but issues a small nod. I got a roll, you got a roll. All God's children got a roll. A porter sings All God's Children Got Wings as he prepares his sleeping car for service. He makes up a bed. His song underscores the next few scenes. Interior hospital morning. Theo rings Quincy's blood-stained hat in his hands as he stares down at the floor by Quincy's bedside. Interior Principia dining car continuous. The porter peeks into the kitchen to see that all is running on time. The chef and wait staff are busily at work. Interior tenement home continuous. Thomas addresses a group of men. We deserve better than just getting by. We work hard and, and should get to negotiate for our wages. A sick day should not mean termination. We need to take a stand. Thomas sees Bert sneak in the back and nods at him. Interior Principia sitting car continuous. The porter fluffs the pillows on the chairs. As he exits, stepping onto exterior train station platform continuous, he looks out at the city of Pullman. It's a beautiful morning. Behind him, a train pulls into the station and passengers are helped off. Jeremiah, who we recognize by his distinctive coat, even without the bullet hole, exits the train and approaches the porter. Excuse me, where can I find the Florence uh, Hotel? Well, Center of town, just a block from the factory. Canvas it. The porter eyes the silver badge on Jeremiah's collar. We can see that it reads. Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Thank you kindly, sir. Jeremiah tips his hat and continues on his way. Interior Tyler home continuous. Angelica, fresh from a shower, opens a drawer to get dressed and finds a christening romper. She smells the garment. It's a punch to the gut. She sits on the floor and spreads the romper out as her grief consumes her. Her head spins and she tries to catch her breath. She crawls across the room and pulls herself onto the chair at her desk, leaving the romper on the floor behind her. She begins to write, putting the pieces of herself back together with each word. Interior hospital continuous. Theo stands by Quincy's side. Quincy's hand moves and his eyes flutter and then fly open. Doctor, we need a doctor in here. Quincy tries to speak, but it's difficult. Just hold on, Pops. Quincy continues his struggle. He pulls Theo close and whispers in his ears. Theo's eyes go wide. A doctor and several nurses enter the room and push Theo out of the way as they set to their work. Exterior train station continuous. The porter still stands on the platform singing his song. He watches as a carriage pulls up to the station. Pullman gets out of the carriage and helps Florence out. Morning, Mr. Pullman. Morning. Everything running on schedule today? Yes, sir. Pullman nods as he and Florence continue toward the train. I thought you were taking me to the hotel for tea. Uh, I wanted to ask you again about last night, and thought this is a more appropriate place. Last night? The tear in your dress? I told you. You told me it was Quincy. Yes. Angelica is expecting me at the hotel. Don't you think we should be going? They near the entrance to the train car. What did I do, Florian, to make you embarrass me this way? What are you talking about? The twins, I'd understand. I've always been a disciplinarian. But you, I, I've always thought we shared a kindred spirit. I've taken your side and kept your confidences. Father, I... Pullman puts a hand up to stop her, his eyes low. It's clear to me I've ruined you. Ruined me? This is my fault. There are rules to the world and order of things, and without order, chaos erupts. I should have been a better father. I don't understand. Get on the train, Florence. Where are we going? You're going to live with Aunt Emily in California. Me? I... You're sending me away? I'll be out to visit. No. 
You can't. Pullman looks go. to the porter, signaling him to help. It's for your own good. Florence begins to plead. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Father. Please don't do this. Another porter approaches, and the two take her arms. Pullman turns and walks away. No, please. Father, at least let me say goodbye. Pullman turns back to her. The porters release Florence, who runs to her father and throws her arms around him. I love you. Please don't make me go. I'll be good. I'll be good, girl. I promise, please. Pullman holds her close for a moment and takes in the smell of the daughter he loves. He kisses her on the head. Time to go now. No, you can't do this. She hits him on the chest and he grabs her wrist to stop her. He nods to the porters who approach and pull Florence onto the train. No, stop it. Let me go. This is for the best. You'll see. She looks at Pullman with nothing but hate. I will never forgive you for this. And she means it. Pullman turns and walks toward the overlook, tears welling in his eyes. This pains him more than he expected. Interior of Principia, Pullman's private car, continuous. The porters escort Florence into her seat. Please let me know if you need anything else on your journey, Miss Florence. Florence stands numbly and looks to the grand room. Miss Florence? She doesn't respond. The porters leave the private car. The moment the door closes, Florence runs to the bed at the back of the car. She climbs onto it and reaches for the window above it. She unlocks the window at both sides and pushes until the window's hinges are fully extended. She hits it with all her might, once, twice, three times, and the hinges give slightly. A way out. Exterior train station continuous. Pullman looks over his town. Smoke rises from the chimney at the factory. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my shoes. Gonna walk all over God's heaven. Behind Pullman, the train pulls out of the station as the porter finishes his song. Smash cut to black. End of pilot. Yeah! Yeah! Man. Um, very well read, everyone. Um, Samantha, what did you think? Is this your first time hearing the script read out loud? Um, I, I did a table read of it in a previous incarnation, but this is the first time hearing this version out loud, and that was awesome. Yeah, well, we thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Such a beautifully written script. I'm, like, a little yeah. emotional, so I've got to, like, recenter myself, <laughs> but, um... Let's talk. What were the inspirations for this script for you? I'm sure you're kind of a history buff, or yeah, I I love history. Um, and actually, I, it was Labor Day a couple years ago, and I was just hanging out with my boyfriend, and we were talking, and I realized that I knew nothing about why we celebrated Labor Day, and I <laughs> went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole and um, found this story, which I'd never heard, um, which blew my mind because it felt so important and. Um, a large part of why we celebrate Labor Day is because of the strike that all of this is going to lead to. Hmm. Um, and I just started learning more and more about it and kind of grabbed every book I could find on Pullman um, and found him to be fascinating and um, invented the two other families that you see. And um, yeah, I just really fell in love with the story and the time period and wanted to write it. So. Absolutely. So it's interesting. This is our first time reading like a distinctly period piece that kind of plays true to the time. We've read some other historical pieces in here, but one was a time travel comedy that totally reinvents the rules of time travel and involves trying to protect Hitler from assassination. And we read kind of a reinvention of the founding of the United States last week. But this feels very grounded in a world that feels so true. Not that the others didn't, but this is just playing more to a dramatic retelling of the story. What is borrowing from directly from history, and what are some of the touches that you kind of added as the writer? Sure. Um, so the Pullman family is real, all of them. I didn't include one of the daughters, um, 
but the rest of them were all, all real people. Um, there was no relationship, as far as I know, between Florence and a porter. Mm-hmm. Um, the hotel that we talk about is real. Um, the movement in town is real. Um, I tried to keep as true as possible to what the town was like and mm. the uh, things that were there. Um, and But the, the day-to-day of it is in, imagined. Cool. Um, um, well, it rings so true. And so, like, in this script, we investigate shattering the glass ceiling for women, pretty much Black Lives Matter. We talk about, um, it's like, father-son relationships. We talk about unionizing. We talk about wages. Like, I feel like, especially in this political climate, a script has never felt more timely. Did you pick up on that when you were doing your research for this project? Yeah, or? I think that's why I was so interested in it was mm-hmm. because um, it was a way to look at history and see the parallels between, like, the, we're, the fact that we're still dealing with the same issues that we were dealing with in 1894 is just um, horrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't understand how that's still happening, and I wanted to play into that, so. Yeah, it's so beautiful, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I, the thing that, sorry to jump no, in. No, please, yeah. Uh, the thing that caught my attention more than anything, and I kept looking up at Roxy during it, was the way that you wrote Pullman. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that you pulled a lot from what you'd read, but you had this incredible balance of sheer evil, but it was justified by his beliefs. Mm-hmm. And talk to me a little bit about writing characters like that, because he's a truly great villain for that reason. He's not over-the-top, heavy-handed. He's just himself but he's evil, you know what I mean? So how did you write him to come across so, I guess, subtle? Um, You know, so I I come at my work from an acting background, um, and when I was acting, I really um, felt like you have to advocate for your character. Like, nobody thinks of themselves as the villain in their story. Yeah. Um, So when I was writing Pullman, I tried really hard to... um, figure out what it might be that made him such a staunch employer like he um i think he truly created this town with his idea of what utopia would be like and the houses that these people lived in were gorgeous like Mm -hmm. they had beautiful homes but then they had to pay more than they could afford to to live in them um but i don't think he saw that and i thought i think like the restrictions that were put on the people there were um put on them because they he felt they were for their own good um for example like they weren't the only place in town to drink was at the florence hotel and the factory workers couldn't afford to go into the hotel um and but i really think like he felt like it was for their own good like clearly i don't agree with that (laughs) but um (laughs) but i think like if if you're coming from that character's perspective like Mm -hmm. nobody like walks out and is like i'm gonna oppress these people you know um that's really a beautiful piece of advice, and a lot of our audience are writers, um, so I think like the idea of advocating for your villain is a really good tip. Um, what are some other, like, writing this script, what are some things you maybe learned as a writer? In terms of maybe structuring this script, I know that's a vague question, but I'd love to kind of pick your brain as to what you discovered as you wrote. Um, yeah, I... You know, this was the first piece that I wrote that was incredibly... Um, it was important to me that it be very historically accurate. Mm-hmm. So um, I did my first draft and um, then went back to try and fix all of the his- 
historical inaccuracies, which was a lot harder than I expected <laughs> it to be. Because things like, like you said bad guy the other uh, a second ago, and um, originally there was a line that um, Angelica says, like, don't make me the bad guy, and I had to change that to villain because the vernacular mm, bad right. guy oh, didn't yeah, yeah. exist <laughs> until the 1950s. Um, hmm. And uh, just certain things we take for granted. Um, so... I learned a lot about that, and um, I'm trying to think what else as far as from, like, structuring um, the well, script. It was important to me um, to start off with a flash-forward, and I think mm -hmm. if this were a series, every episode would be that way, because well, I think historical drama often can feel really um, slow-moving, and I hoped that by starting every episode with, like, this huge cataclysmic event, yeah. um, it would imbue the episode with this feeling of tension and um, uh, fear, urgency. like something, right. yeah. urgency, yeah, to yeah. keep people on the like edge of their right, seats. Right, right. Yeah. So. To piggyback off of what Jeff said a little bit, because I know we do have a lot of writers out there, when you're writing something like this, when you're looking into history, it's facts. How do you make personalities for these people? Like, are you ever reading a book and it's like, well, this dickhead. <laughs> that doesn't really happen. So how are you like, okay, his daughter was probably or maybe like this? Um, honestly, I just imagined it. I, you know, I read a lot about the family, about the life that they had in this town um, and about the daughter's lives after the town and um, the sons. And it just... I, I, again, like as an actor, a former actor, um, I kind of improvise with myself and I do a lot of writing that never gets put in the script. So I guess that's something process wise that I always do. I feel like usually I write a first draft and almost none of it winds up in the final product <laughs> because it's all like backstory and that's not super interesting to, to mm -hmm. see. Um, but yeah, so um, figuring out what their. Uh, daily life is like and how they interact with each other before I put pen to paper and really write their interactions and relationships. What's crazy to me is that <clears throat> it feels like there's a separate movie going on for every single one of the relationships <laughs> in this episode, but what you do so brilliantly is you bring it all together. You have literally like six storylines going on that are all fascinating, but you've, you, you intertwine them so well that it's not... Um, it's not hard to swallow, you know what I mean? So how do you yeah. do that as a writer? How do you find the balance in there? Like, do you have all these stories written separately and then you, like, take the beginning of all of them? Like, how did you do that? Because you see all this into the average person. You try to tell them this story. If you're like, oh, I read a pilot this week and it's about 300 things, <laughs> but it's perfectly, you know what I mean? So how do you find the balance when you're writing like this? Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I outlined extensively, and I used note cards that moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of scenes that happened in different places, and um, like I said, a lot of things that got taken out um, to make room for others. Um, but yeah, it, it, I love ensemble shows, mm -hmm. and um, it was important to me that every character kind of had their moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of tried to keep it as balanced as possible because I didn't want it to feel like um, Pullman was a protagonist or Angelica was a protagonist or Florence. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel like everybody had their moment to shine. I think like every episode of a series like this, a different person would be the protagonist. Cool. And, yeah, even like Thomas I'm interested in. Like he maybe of all the ensemble felt a little bit like a secondary character, but he was still so richly developed. 
the point where I would love to see an episode about his life. And I interrupted you, Mike. No, no, no. no. I was just going to say, because when I got the script, I was reading it, the concept, like, this is not a show if it was on the air that would initially draw what I like to watch, mm-hmm. but it was so, like, this is, to me, a kind of show, this is like what movie stars come to TV to do, mm-hmm. a show like this. And that, mm-hmm. and. I said from a, a concept, uh, from a standpoint of this was not normally a show that I would like would see on TV to watch, but it seems like a, a Jessica Lange and a Paul Giamatti. Like that's who <laughs> I saw when I saw Pullman. I was just I like, see that. that's the kind of and the way you write it. It's like it's a character drama that it's just like these people. It's like that's you. I see the ma- ma- machinations. Is that the correct mm-hmm. word yeah. of these interacting with. I don't know. We you know Netflix where it's like you can binge watch this entire thing <laughs> yeah. to see it all. So I yeah to me to, to say that it's not something that I would. Normally gravity too, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, it was so good to read. It kept turning the page, but it's the urgency. Yeah. I think it's the urgency yeah, that you so... talked about. It feels you. It's very vivid and it's very tense, which is and again timely. Like I think that's why for me it works so well. Along those lines, how do you balance old-fashioned dialogue with modern sentiment? Like how did you strike that balance? Because um, it works so well. <laughs> I like I said when I first wrote it, I ended up having to go back and change a lot of words mm-hmm. and I thought a lot about vocabulary and word mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. Um, but Quite. I, <laughs> I also thought a lot about um, the fact that like people in that time didn't think of themselves as being of a certain time. Right. Um, so I think it's just like their normal conversations and it was really important to me that it um, had a, a feeling of modernity um, like Boardwalk Empire or mm-hmm. uh, there's th- uh, Peaky Blinders does a really mm-hmm. great job of it um, mm-hmm. and so I watched a lot of shows and learned from experts that way <laughs> there and you go. Um, I just tried really hard to make it not feel like staunch mm-hmm. um, I think you know I'm a big um, Downton Abbey fan and I watched a lot of Downton Abbey yeah. while I was writing it um, because that one also doesn't feel like right. it's right. Um, old. Well, you borrow from it in the best way. I want to emphasize that this is a completely original script that's taking the strengths of the other shows that you mentioned and channeling them. So your influences ring clear while still creating something totally original. So I applaud you for that. Um, uh, can I ask? Uh, please. Did you have anyone in mind for certain characters when you're writing them? Like you kind of mentioned, like Paul Giamatti or something like that. Did you think of, of the specific actors as you were writing certain parts? Um, I really only did it with... Uh, Pullman. Okay. Um, and I thought about Ed Harris a lot while oh, I was writing I it. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, of course, like, now I've got ideas for, like, who, like, a dream cast might be. <laughs> Let's I, hear it. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> Mike uh, Other Roxy. than everyone in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. On that note, though, like, thank you guys so much. You you did a, a great job. It was so exciting to hear Good. everything come to life. Yeah, I ask this every single week, and I know you've had this read before, but was there anything today that stood out to you that you want to change, that you like, that you didn't notice before, that you don't like, anything like that? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> um, I think, like, uh, specifically, uh, hearing it read today, the scene between um, Angelica and Pullman in the, in the car felt a little... Uh, there's a lot of exposition in that scene mm-hmm. and I'd like to try and go back maybe and tone that down a little bit um, were there any um, unexpected moments of humor like there were a couple like yes. laughs in the room <laughs> <laughs> something that you wrote that you didn't think was going to be funny but got like a reaction yeah I mean I, I really loved the scene between um, Quincy and Theo with mm-hmm. the um, 
it, like how badly you're folding mm-hmm. this bed sheet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's really sweet. That that moment um, played so so well. Thank you guys so much. Um, Definitely. And I wasn't expecting it to have like it. It made me like frightened. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, my favorite line maybe ever is "There's not there's nothing better than being inside a Pullman." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That was good. Filth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's earned. It's earned. Like you you don't throw any anything cheap in there the whole time, and you get right. that like one yeah. little punchline. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I'll just uh, one thing. I truly enjoyed how everybody's character was so cohesive with mm-hmm. one another. I could see this in like a theatrical type thing. Is that something you've ever uh, considered? Um, what do you mean by theatrical? Like, like, like on a stage? Yeah. Um, I have a playwriting background, so mm. you're oh. probably okay, seeing sense, a little okay, bit of that yeah. in my work. Um, I saw the exact same thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask another question? Was whiskey drinking like a not a great thing? Like when she's like, "He's a whiskey man." Oh, yeah, like, right. that, that means he's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think it, it's just like a, she's she's being playful with yeah. Florence okay. there. Right. Um, you had something against whiskey drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you something? As a, you as a writer, um, do you find and how do you deal with? Because I would have never meeting you pinned you for this type of script. Like it, it, it's so fascinating to me, and I don't know any of that writing world. What everyone's like. You said you had this huge love of history. Did you ever find that um, where people get the script and they come meet you and they're like, "Oh, not what I would have thought to be into this kind of thing." <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in a um, it's just a comment. You don't mean it in any kind yeah, of way. Yeah, it's not a yeah. negative. Like, um, I just, I'm so curious. Yeah, I, you know, I, I love historical drama, but I also love high concept sci-fi, and I love, okay, yeah. uh, you know, like my, I, I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. Like I, I can't <laughs> let it go. I, I literally watch like everything on yeah. TV. Shonda's the and, queen, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, this, when I come at some a script, it's always. Um, what's inspiring to me right, right. then because I feel like that's how I'm going to write the best work mm-hmm. is if I find a story and I fall in love with the characters like everything I write is incredibly character driven mm-hmm. um, so and and it can span any genre so I um, I don't does, does that yeah, answer yeah, the question just, at I guess all? to me that it's, should have said it, it struck me as someone that has so much age experience and life experience it, it, and then to see you so young and just like, oh my gosh, it's... I also look it, a lot younger than I am. <laughs> 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 it, just, it, it worked. It was great. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Of course. <laughs> Jimmy, thanks for bringing up the theatrical feel of the um, script. One thing we haven't talked about on this show yet is kind of the playwriting versus the screenwriting approach to narrative. Mm-hmm. Could you speak a little bit about that? Because I'm interested. I don't have a lot of experience. I love TV. So I'm curious as to why you chose to tell this story as a screen sure. narrative. Um, so... I think there are some stories that lend themselves way more to theater than to Mm -hmm. television or film. I think what's so unique about television is um, that you have the opportunity. It's a really, like, social medium. Mm. People get together and watch together and then discuss Mm. what they're seeing. Um, And for me, that was a big reason why I felt like this should be a television series. Mm. And it also has this built-in story engine with, like, a train station in town where people come in and mm. go out. Um, so, so for me, that's why I chose um, TV for for this uh, piece. Um, but I think between the two mediums, um, on stage, you you kind of want to keep yourself in a setting. Yeah, it's um, mm. 
it's not limiting, but it's um, I don't I don't feel like this kind of a, a show where um, you're moving around a huge town uh, lends itself as easily to to the stage. Yeah. Um, that being said, like theater is my first love, and I still write plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I my and my process is pretty similar. Um, in theater, I read a lot more monologues, and I'm a huge <laughs> fan of monologues. Yeah. Um, I like to play a lot more with the audience when I'm writing for for the theater. Um, yeah. And I also feel like you can express that inner monologue more in your dialogue when you're writing for theater than you get to when you're on screen. Um, yeah. Uh, there's so much more action in my um, TV scripts and film scripts than there are in my than there is in my my plays. Well, to your credit, I still think you balance the dialogue. I'm a writer as well, so balancing dialogue and action is essential to telling a good screen narrative. And I think you really did it well in this pilot. So I want to make sure you. that you <laughs> feel that way. Um, one, you mentioned monologuing, and you I, that was when your playwriting influences showed in this script because. Pullman's monologue superimposed on the action in the car with Florence. Oh, so, so good. I like, literally have chills recalling it. So it. Like, yeah. What inspired that? Because it's so effective. Honestly, it was two separate scenes. And um, I have this woman in my life who I love, who reads everything I write. Um, her name's Kelly Fullerton, and I think she's a story genius. And she was yeah. like, you know, these two scenes work really well separately, but like, if there's a way to make his mm-hmm. speech fit in with all of the stuff that's happening behind his back, like that would work really well. So really, it's Definitely. it's other writers who <laughs> yeah. uh, so influenced good. that. But like, that was one of the best notes I've ever gotten, and I, um, it was fun to to try and find the ways where the lights and all yeah yeah that scene specifically was why when you asked that question about theater i was like this couldn't be on stage because this has to be on a screen Mm. just for that one scene because you could do it on stage but it would be more magical on screen and have those inner cuts and the music and like all that yeah that scene was written perfectly you can tell your theater background though because of town it's like our town you're in town (laughs) town. there you go (laughs) yep I was a theater nerd too gotcha (laughs) Um, well before I want to talk a bit about the future of this show but does anyone have any questions about story or character before we kind of move on to that discussion do you have a favorite character or you're not allowed to pick one no I think it changes a lot Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely while I was writing it it changed a lot um Mm -hmm. I uh, had to go back and beef up Angelica, who started off as my favorite character. Hmm. Like, I like was obsessed with her, and then it was too Angelica-heavy, so I was like, oh, I can't write anything for Angelica, and I wrote a whole lot more for Florence and for Bert, and then there was, like, no Angelica, so yeah. I had to go back and put her back in. Um, but I think um, right now probably Florence is my favorite because I think she's this, like, young naive mm-hmm. girl who's discovering herself and trying right. to figure out what she actually believes mm-hmm. um and coming to terms with that um and i have this whole like idea in my head of what her story is for the rest i want to hear it have you written any more of this i haven't i, yeah. I mean i have a bible so i've yeah. like played out what happens in the first season gotcha, and the future gotcha, seasons gotcha. but um 
but I haven't written additional episodes. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fun, strong women in this show, which I really like, and I also, yeah. we didn't talk much about <laughs> it, um, but the generational conflict in both the African-American and the Caucasian community is yeah. what's so cool, because Theo and Quincy's journey kind of parallels Pullman and Florence's journey, which I think is just so cool. And the it's decision to have... Too. Yeah, it's, it's so real. real, and yeah, their relationship is so sweet, so the... Theo's grief when he loses his father potentially is so earned, I think. Um, Well, I want to talk about the future of this show because I want to see it on screen right now. Um, (laughs) Have you thought at all about networks? Um, I mean, I would love to see it on, like, an AMC. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The thing that I thought of is WGN is producing these beautiful, like, I don't know if you've seen Manhattan Mm -hmm. or... I feel like this show's ready to go for that network. I don't know if you've... (laughs) Talk to them. Or <laughs> that feels right for I you. Wish. Or... Um, I wish. I, you know, I honestly, anybody who wants to produce it can have it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not precious about like uh, how it would look mm-hmm. or um, what network it would be on. I feel like mm-hmm. different networks it would have to change a little bit to play well on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel like it's a broadcast network show. I think it's more no. of a uh, no. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, I um, would be very open, um, mm-hmm. and I'd love to see it produced. But I've also been told by a lot of people that like, nobody's buying historical. So, that um, like, have they said that to you recently? Because it just seems like it seems not true. Was it Turn out there? Turn yeah. the Nick. It's all these dramas that it's like. It, it always seems like you always say you know. There's always that glut of one, no one wants to be first, but everyone wants to be second with <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the key with a successful historical drama is that it feels relevant, and like I promise you, this pilot does. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. we'll do we'll do what we can. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any questions for us? Having um, heard it, yeah, a couple if that's okay. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Um, uh, for you guys uh, reading Quincy and Theo, um, something I really worried about when writing it. Um, was that I haven't had the experience of um, being discriminated against for my race. Um, Mm. And I spoke to a a lot of friends about that, um, trying to get it right, but I wanted to know if there was anything in there that didn't feel organic or didn't feel um, true. Um, I think just based off of the character of Theo, I can read late to him a hundred percent he seems like a person who knows who he is and confident but there's those around him that's like kind of holding him back mm-hmm. now speaking on the relationship part um i've i've been in situations where parents they l- love me but they don't want their daughter to end <laughs> up with me wow. so wow. that's why with the whole them kind of you know but behind the scenes and then i love how at the end she's being shipped off to california but she's like kind of trying to break out and th- that can turn into a love story and all that stuff there so with that said um it it just r- really brought me home with who the character actually actually was and I can definitely see that being a true story Mm. yeah I think like the generational thing is really interesting because I've had talks with my dad that are you know like you don't know how bad we had it that kind of thing and every generation thinks that like we haven't gone far enough so I think I thought that was really interesting Um, and then also like my wife is white so we've had a lot of conversations (laughs) with uh, people related to that's been really Mm -hmm. interesting and then also 
even in some places we've gone, we went to Ireland in November, and there are a lot of like interesting looks there. It's like a thing that's kind of like part of our lives. So it's the relationship between those two is like, well, yeah, that's that's how it would be, and especially at that point in time when it was way illegal. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then for you, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to know what drew you to the script. Like, I, yeah. I, <laughs> um, so I'm. Picking most of my scripts from the blacklist, just trying to find um, high-rated, and I'm kind of searching by genre, to be honest, um, because my goal for someone who's listening to this show is that they'd be able to pull from my list of produced episodes and find a script that would really be exciting for them. Um, I do think this script is for everyone, but for mm-hmm. someone who, example, like loves historical drama, this would be a great entry point for them. Um, but honestly, I it was highly rated on the blacklist, which was cool, and um, I love historical dramas and it's kind of actually accompanies the show we ran last week sort of well because we did um like a kind of a revolutionary american revolution comedy but (laughs) i thought this would be a nice compliment to that script which is why i put scheduled it when i did but um yeah i mean i connected with you and i thought we had a great conversation i was really excited to put this show up and i think specifically what i've mentioned it's the urgency of the script and the relevancy of the script make it such to me a powerful piece so that's pretty much why selected it yeah yeah. Thank you. And thank, thank of all course. of you. Yeah, thank, <laughs> you. Thank, you. thank you. It was such a great script. Yeah, I say every week, like, the writers are thankful, which is great, but obviously as actors, we're so thankful, too, because yeah. it's our privilege to read great writing. Right, so yeah. it's a it's a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, I guess with that, that's the end of the show. If no one has anything else, uh, applause once yes. again. It's a beautiful script. Thank you so much, Samantha. Um, guys, in the meantime, that's been the Unproduced Table Read. Before we go, I do want to plug, again, these um, scripts come to us from ARA Printing um, on Magnolia Boulevard in Burbank. Um, we have a promo code now. Um, oh, yeah. So Dang. if you go to um, ARA Printing, please say that our show sent you and use the promo code Table Read for 10% off. Their prices are already very, very reasonable for writers, just so you know, Samantha. Um, yeah, it's definitely the, ple- the cheapest place in town with this promo code. It's kind of an unpre- unprecedentedly low price for these scripts. So we thank you so much to ARA Printing. In the meantime, guys, this has been the Unproduced Table Review. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Jeff Graham. You guys can find me on Twitter. If you have questions, if you want to pitch me a script, please do so, at Jeffrey C. Graham. Last thing quickly, if you like the show, please rate, like, and subscribe. I'm trying to get a little more promotion and press for the show, so if you want to give us five stars on iTunes, that'd be awesome. (laughs) In the meantime, I'd love for my cast to see their way out. Roxy, let us know where we can find you online. Guys, I'm Roxy Stryer. Thanks for tuning in, and you can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. I'm Mike Kalinowski. You can find me everywhere as well at Mike Kalinowski. I'm Isaac Johnson. You can find me at Isaac Johnson or the Isaac Johnson some places because some guy already has Isaac Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jimmy V. Uh, you can check it to my blog, beyourowndad.blogspot.com. <laughs> hey, I'm Haley O'Connor. That is Haley with two Y's. If you don't use two Y's, you're not two Y's. Hi. On Twitter, thank you. Uh, on Twitter at Haley O'Connor, and you can catch me on the Popcorn Talk Network every Sunday for Sci Fi Weekly. Hey everybody, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Guy. And Samantha, where can they find you to Please. buy this script? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a website. It's my last name, dot com. So, uh, Um 
you can find me on the blacklist Great. and hey, I'm congratulations. on Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at geeky girlfriend, girlfriend spelled with no vowels. Nice, I love it. I'm gonna read your <laughs> last name just because it is unconventional. So if you want to find Samantha, her last name is spelled L-E-V-E-N-S-H-U-S. So that's pronounced Leventious, but that's how you spell it. If you even just Google your last name, they'll find you right yeah. away. So. <laughs> um, next week, we were going to read uh, Amazing Comedy, but that comedy actually just got sold to a network, so we no. won't be reading yeah. it, which is great for the writers. But yeah. I am 95% sure we'll still have a show next week at 10 a.m., so we urge you to tune in. Um, so we'll see you then on the Unproduced Table Read. But guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, this was Company Town by Samantha Leventius, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.